Alright, so a bit of a uh, heads up for this one. Um, what originally happened was we had to re-record the intro for this episode because of, uh, you know, because of personal issues. And uh, when we did, uh, you know, when we, when we started recording the episode, uh, Skype kind of fucked up in, in a few bits and pieces here and there and towards the end. So I apologize for if the intro was shitty, but... I did what I could with the audio, and with that being said, enjoy uh, enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome to Hello Government the Podcast. I'm your host, Abdullah, and with me today is a guest I've been trying to get on for a couple of months now, but hopefully nothing goes wrong now while we're recording this, because we're... Because we unfortunately had a technical issue when we when we first uh, started recording the intro. Trevor Duvall, ladies and gentlemen. Hello again, and at last. <laughs> now I gotta pretend I that we didn't record like three minutes of dialogue. And... <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um. So when we were when we left off, we were talking about your career and what you were known for and. And all that good stuff. And all that jazz, yes. Yeah, um, yeah uh, I've been at uh, been at this 20 years. Um, <clears throat> some of the more popular characters, more well-known characters, I guess, is Rocket Raccoon on uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy series. Um, I play a bunch of characters on Avengers Assemble as well, including Claw, which is Black Panther's nemesis. Um, uh, other shows, Emperor Palpatine and Lego Star Wars and a bunch of characters in F is for Family and on and on and on she goes. Yeah, and we talked about you moving to L.A. You know, you originally started out in Canada. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I got started in, <clears throat> in my voice career in uh, the late 90s in Vancouver, B.C. in Canada. Uh, I had moved there from Edmonton. I was a theater guy, and then I fell into voice and kind of never looked back. And uh, six years ago, moved to L.A., and things have been really good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is, uh, you know, let me just say that the original intro was a lot better than this, but what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm here now. That's what counts. Yeah. And we originally were starting where we originally wanted to record this back in March, but then, you know, something came up and then we we're like, oh, let's try April. And then something came up and then I just kind yep. of forgot about it. And then it's like, wait a minute, wasn't there someone I, I, I wanted to get on the show at some point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then literally within the first five minutes of us actually doing it, I had an emergency that I had to deal with. So you have the worst luck when it comes to getting me. But as I said, I'm here now. So here we are. Yeah. So uh, so how's it been? Uh, how's it been, sir? How's it? Uh, how's life been treating you these past couple of uh, years, I should say, with all, with all the work you've been doing in the States? Well, I'd say busy, but you already know that. You, you're a, a direct – you have direct experience of my crazy schedule. Um, <clears throat> uh yeah, good. It's great. Uh, LA's been great. It wasn't a move that I ever thought I'd do. I kind of had no interest in it, to tell you the truth. And then one thing led to another, and I had an opportunity presented to my to me, and I took it. And I thought, oh, I'll go down for a year or two and just, you know, just do a couple of radio spots or guest spots on like Disney princess shows, and and that'll be that. And then I'll go home and say, yeah, I lived in LA, but uh, didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> I wound up buying a buying a place down here and uh, a couple years back and 
Yeah, it's been good. The community down here is fantastic. Uh, they've been very welcoming. Um, so it's it's been it's been a great experience. And uh, I, I said this on the David Kay um, interview I did back in March. I told him like if he had not done, you know if he had not done the the move, I don't think he would have like taken the chance to come to L.A. because you know he <clears> was kind of the guy who started that whole trend of like the uh, the Canadian guys going over to L.A. to to find work. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting. Dave's kind of a uh, he's an interesting guy. He's a self-made man. He's he's he sort of made his his fortune in radio. He does uh, tons of imaging stuff, which is like you know you're listening to one hundred point six, the Badger, you know that kind of stuff. Um, but he he you know then later on he got into to, to voice work animation and and that kind of stuff. Uh, but promo, uh, is a big deal for him. Uh, so he started to do some work in LA because that's sort of where the bigger markets are. And he was going back and forth and back and forth. And we were all watching this from the sidelines up in Vancouver. And yeah, you're right though. He was sort of the, he was the pioneer. He was kind of the first guy that really came down here and, and, and hit, you know, and, uh, was successful. Um, <clears throat> but we always kind of put Dave in sort of a different, uh, category than the rest of us, you know, cause Dave was, as I said, he was a self-made man. Dave had done really, really well. Dave was super ambitious as well. So when he went to LA, we were like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. But we're all just very comfortable up here in our little Canadian paradise. And then, uh, yeah, shortly after that, I got the call. <laughs> and, and as soon as I did, I mean, Sobolov, David Sobolov has been down here forever. He's been out of like 20 years. He, he actually left for LA before I even started working in the business. So he's, as far as I'm concerned, he's kind of an Angelino, but, um, but yeah, so it was it was kind of neat because when I went down and started to to do a lot of work, I started to get all these calls from my my colleagues in Vancouver going, "So, I'm thinking about coming down." <laughs> I was like, "Well, you know, everybody's career is different. There's no guarantee that if you come down anything's going to happen, but um yeah, it's been it's it's neat. Dave, like I said, Dave was kind of the he was the he was the pioneer. He was the the test case probe that we sent. <laughs> I mean, and it's and it's so surreal, like to me, as you know, because I grew up watching like Beast Wars, and Beast Wars was like the the show that I think that was like the only show I watched that was you know done in Canada. So it was an entire Vancouver cast, and it's still right. weird to me to hear like people like Sobolov and Kay and like American shows now because it's like ah, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's funny because one of the one of the reasons that I wanted to come down here, <clears throat> or one of the attractive qualities of it was, um, I wanted to be on higher profile shows because because most of the shows that we did back home were uh, not hugely high profile. There was some like My Little Pony, for example, that was pretty huge, but that was pretty rare. Like most of the shows we did did a season or two seasons, and then they kind of like faded into obscurity. So I wanted to work on shows that people would recognize, you know, if I was on a plane and someone said, what do you do? When we got in a conversation, I said, well, I'm on this. I wanted to be on a show where they would go, oh yeah, I know that. So I kind of got that with, with Guardians, which was great. Um, because in LA, that's where the bulk of the higher profile stuff happens, obviously. So, uh, that was a, that was an attractive thing for me to be part of. And you get to rub elbows of the big boys now. Yeah. I mean, like it, it is great. The, as I said, the voice community down here is fantastic. They're, they're super talented and they're, they're welcoming and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, Honestly, the, the guys in Vancouver are just as talented. Uh, they really are. They're, they're unbelievably talented up there. Um, it's just that the, the shows, two things, as I said, the, the high, the, the, the higher visibility shows tend to be done in LA. And also, um, and this is a blessing and a curse, the celebrity, uh, culture of Los Angeles really affects things because, 
I've lost a lot of jobs down here to celebrities <laughs> by virtue of them being celebrities, which is not a problem I had in Vancouver. That obviously wasn't something that happened very often because if they were taking the show to Vancouver anyway, they probably weren't going to be casting celebrities in the first place. So that was a bit of a rude awakening when I, you know, I would audition for a show and I was shortlisted and everything was great. And then I'd hear nothing. And then a year later, I see the show and it's, oh, it's some guy, some TV actor, celebrity guy. And I'm like, oh, I get it. That's how that works. All right. I see. So frustrating, but what are you going to do? I mean, you watch something and it's like Patrick Stewart or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you, you, what are you going to do? That's just the way it is. Yeah, I There's know. still enough work to go around, so. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, many times, you know, talking to people who've been on shows who come in and do, uh, you know, uh, take over for, for a character that was previously voiced by a celebrity, I just say, you know, you kind of make the most of it. You know, yeah. work is work. You know, it's yep, not, that's it's, right. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not, you know, yeah, it sucks that, you know, they don't cast like, um, uh, voice actors in major roles in movies, but you know, at the end of the day, the work is still there, you know, work is work. <laughs> That is true, and and to tell you the truth, I mean, the features that I have done, all of the the producers on it have all said the same thing. They've all said, if we could hire you guys for the leads, we would. But basically, the marketing department says, no, you have to hire this celebrity. Um, in the vast majority of cases, they would ma they would much rather work with us just because we know the job and we work faster and better and we get it right, uh, and we're more versatile in most cases. Um, but PR says or marketing says, hey, we got to sell the project, so we need whatever, Brad Pitt or somebody to be the voice of this thing. Okay, all right, well, that's fine. But, you know, that's the way it is. It's the movies. <laughs> you know? And, I mean, I get that. You know, they're just trying to sell a product, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, the quality shows and the performance. Well, I'm not going to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I'll, and I'll just say it, and I'll just leave it at that, because I don't want people to think I'm, like, <laughs> singling anyone out, but, you know, you, you can you can tell who's who's uh, putting in the, perform the, the good, the, you know, the good stuff. Yes, <clears throat> yes, yes, exactly. So, um, how's, how's uh, Rocket been treating you? Like, because you, you know, that that's kind of a big role, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that was that was a a huge deal. In fact, it was a much bigger deal than I knew because when I did the audition for it, it was before the movie had come out, and I knew nothing about Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew nothing about any of it. I hadn't seen the trailer for the movie or anything. So when I auditioned for it, you know, the description was, "Well, he's a talking raccoon with a lot of guns and he's angry." I was like, oh, "Okay." So <laughs> I did a thing, and okay, you're the guy. And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. I have no idea what this is." And then the trailer for the movie came out, and I went. Oh, 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 that's what this is. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Um, but it was great. We did three seasons. Tremendous experience. Great cast. Uh, great producers. Um, I love the show. Um, and then that was it. We did three seasons and it was, it was over. I think they're airing the third one now. If it's not already done, I can't remember. Uh, you know, hope it's done now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there'll be another life for it in some form. You know, we can always keep our fingers crossed. Uh, I mean, I know that a lot of the producers at Marvel are big fans of our of our show, so um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, you never know, right? 
I mean, it's funny that you say you guys were, I think even, I mean, uh, when I interviewed uh, Sobolov, he actually said he might have actually gotten cast first before Batista because he had done, he had done the character before. Oh yeah. Before they, before they even like cast Batista in the movie. Oh so, yeah. 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 He, he'd actually been playing Drax for years. Like anytime there was an appearance, cause the Guardians did show up occasionally in other shows. Like I think they showed yeah, up in yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, but he was always Drax. Apparently, he was like the guy, and and that was the other thing when I auditioned for Rocket because one of the, one of the things it said was, uh, this character has also been played by Seth Green and Billy West and Nolan North, and I was looking at this list, going, then what am I doing here? <laughs> I mean, I can't follow these guys. These guys are giants. There's no way. So it, it was a it was a huge deal when I booked it. I thought, oh my god, but yeah. I mean- and and it's and it's kind of yeah it is it is kind of weird you know considering you know the the previous people who played the character and then it's like Trevor Duvall really that's who they went with okay well you know I do have some experience after all it's not a total surprise I didn't think what was weird though was when I was uh, in session with Seth Green on Guardians who was playing uh, Howard. Howard the Duck. Uh, that was interesting because we had a big episode together, Howard and uh, Rocket, and the whole time I was aware, uh, yeah, he, he, he was Rocket before. He, he was Rocket. But also at the same time, you know, he did a couple of episodes. It's not like, you know, I replaced him on a series or something crazy like that. So, And he certainly never said anything about it. I, I'm sure he didn't even remember having played Rocket, frankly. You know, the guy's done so much. But I think, I, and, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you come in to redub Rocket and like the... Yeah, so what happened was when I was cast as Rocket for Guardians, one of the first things they did was they said, okay, well, we have these these sort of newer Spider-Man episodes, so we want you to go back and, yeah, basically redub uh, because they wanted a consistency of voice throughout the the various franchises. So I was like, okay, great. So, yeah, ironically, that was the very first job I did as Rocket. It wasn't even for Guardians. It was for Spider-Man. Yeah, because I saw both versions of that episode, and it's kind of weird hearing, like, the original lines by Billy West and then you're, you doing the same line and your rocket voice. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. I think Billy was doing like a real New York thing, wasn't he? Wasn't, yeah, he, wasn't yeah. he sort of doing like that old thing over there? I don't, yeah, I don't really remember. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was a it was a New York slash Brooklyn Brooklyn accent if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like I'll kill you, you bastard. Or something yeah. Like that. Yes. Well, Billy is a a living god. Well, I mean, he's been around since God knows the early oh, yeah. 90s. Oh yeah. He's he's a legend. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that must have been like really freaky, like coming in and then them telling you, yeah, yeah, you're redubbing over Billy West's dialogue. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but at the same time, it was like, well, that's okay. I mean, Billy's Billy and Trevor's Trevor, right? And we, we both bring different things to it, and they decided to use me for it, and that's just fine, you know? Uh, it's not like, uh, it's not like Billy West needed that particular job or anything. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm a huge admirer of his, but at the same time, when the producers decide that they want to go a certain direction, that's just the way it is, and whether that works in your favor or against you is just, you know, par for the course. And speaking of Marvel, you actually did write a couple episodes for those shows, which I was really impressed by. Yeah, I did. I wrote uh, three or four episodes of Avengers, including the, I think, the season or series finale for Black, Plant, Black Panther's Quest, which was the last one, uh, and one episode of Guardians, which was great. And that, that just came about because I, I was on Guardians, but I had an idea for an episode where 
um, <clears throat> we hear Groot's thoughts, and everybody else just says, I am Star-Lord, I am this, I am Rocket. And I pitched that idea to one of the producers, and he loved it. And he said, that's great. Um, do you want to write it? And I was like, uh, I just kind of wanted to watch it, but okay. I guess so. so he said, well, let's get you started writing for Avengers, then. Why don't you write one of those? And so I did, and... They liked it, and they said, you want to do another one? And I did, and it just kept going from there. And then when it came to do the Guardians thing, they actually they went with my idea, more or less. I mean, uh, we did the, the the Black Vortex series of episodes for Guardians in the third season, and the two episodes I was tasked with writing, one of them was uh, Rocket in this crazy factory, but the other one was about Groot, sort of trapped in this nightmare where we finally hear his thoughts, and everybody else just says, you know, I am Drax, I am this. So I was just blown away that they actually, you know, went with the idea. So it's like, wait, you guys want you you guys want my opinion? Huh. Well, it was just I mean, I never written for certainly not for Marvel before, and it just started as sort of a cool idea I had over dinner with Will Fordell, who plays uh, uh, Star Lord. And I told him, Yeah, I had this really neat idea, it'd be really cool to see an episode where we hear Groot's thoughts, and I told him the thing and and he said, oh, that's great. You should pitch Marvel. And I was like, I should? He said, yeah, you're Rocket Raccoon. They're not going to just say no. And I went, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. So so I did, and and then they said yes, and here we are. So pays to ask, you know. And how how was the writing process for you? Like, was it was it weird getting into getting to write dialogue for these characters, or was it just? Well, it was it was easier to write dialogue for the Guardians show, obviously, because I knew the characters a lot better. Um, <clears throat> when I started to write for Avengers, I wasn't a huge. Um, I didn't know a lot about the Avengers, so I was a little intimidated off the bat because the first episode they had me write dealt with Black Panther and Falcon, uh, and they were in Dracula's castle in some, like, Beyonder universe or something. Um, and so I was like, oh, I, I have – and this is long before the Black Panther movie as well, so I, I had no idea who these people were or <laughs> what they're supposed to do. So I had to do a little research to sort of capture their voice and stuff. But it's also – you got to understand when you write for Marvel, it, it, it's a team effort. So I basically write the draft of the script. I write all the action scenes, all the dialogue and stuff, and then I give it to them, and then they do whatever they want with it. So I know that whatever I submit to them will probably not be the same show that gets ultimately made because there are so many different stages of production that things constantly evolve and constantly change. So frankly, when I see a show that I've written on TV and I recognize any of it, I'm impressed <laughs> because I've just sort of learned to fire and forget. Just write it and then, okay, you guys do whatever you want with it. I'm done. Uh, so it's, it is pretty cool when, when huge sections of sequences I did write still survive to the final. You know, it's kind of neat. Was it weird like writing an episode where Claw was like the main character and you had to like read your own dialogue was well that, that was part of the that was part of the reason why they kept giving me episodes where my characters were in it because they loved the idea that i was writing episodes for my own characters as well for me it didn't really matter right like it, because when i put on when i go into writer mode i'm i'm no longer in voice actor mode because i'm i'm now only thinking about the story like interestingly enough when i first pitched harrison who's the the producer at uh, at marvel about the Guardians idea where Groot speaks. In the original pitch, Rocket is barely in the episode. He shows up at the very beginning and the very end. And Harrison was blown away. He was like, you're telling me you want to write an episode where your character's not even in it? And I'm like, yeah, because it, it's not about him. It's about Groot. And he just, he was blown away that an actor would actually be interested in writing about somebody else. <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude, it's, come on. I'm, 
I'm a writer. I'm trying to tell the story in the best way possible. I don't particularly care about my character in this moment, right? Um, as an actor, anyway. Uh, so yeah, it was it was cool for them to to be able to say, hey, you know, Trevor, hey, he can walk and chew gum. He can <laughs> he can write and act. So um, that was pretty cool. And it was funny because in the very last Black Panther episode, uh, Claw. Uh, has his final appearance basically and he's got this big monologue and uh <laughs> court lane who's the head of animation when we watched the screening of it he was like oh yeah leave it to trevor to write himself a giant monologue and i'm like ah, you guys sort of told me to do that so i just did it because <laughs> I, I remember watching that episode i'm like wait trevor duvall wrote this and claws like in the main plot oh <laughs> oh yes oh yes <laughs> I know it, it makes it seem like I did that, but honestly, that was them because they because they decide what the what the what the overall story of each episode is going to be, and then they parcel that out to us individual writers. So it's not like it's not like I go in going, okay, I've got this idea for a, an episode where this happens and this happens. It's more like they say, okay, so in this episode, this is what's going to happen. Uh, Black Panther is going to get captured. Uh, he's going to be in prison. Then he's going to escape, and then he runs into Spider-Man, and they have a big fight with Vulture, and then he finally escapes. And now that I know that, I kind of fill in the – I put the flesh on the bones. You know what I mean? So when they said, oh, yeah, Claw's the main character in this, that wasn't me going, oh, I think I should write in Claw. It was, it was them saying, yes, we're going to – you know, according to our larger story arc, Claw is a bigger part of this particular episode. Yeah, because they need to get him from out of prison as well for later right. on in the story. Right, exactly. So it's like poetry. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected, yeah. And then, of course, like, you know, when it comes to, you know, most writers, like, you know, there's the whole controversy of how much of, of the script you wrote is that the actual script, you know, you actually is, is in the final product and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah, and that again, like I said, that's just the part of the process that you have to understand. That's something that Will told me right off the bat when I when they when Marvel hired me to write the first Avengers episode that I did. Uh, <clears throat> Will said to me because he writes as well. I don't think for Marvel, but he's written for like Thundercats and Transformers and stuff. So he said to me, "Just so you know, Trev," he said, uh, "When you write that script, forget about it because they're going to change it. They're going to change everything." Just because. So just as long as you don't get married to anything, you'll be fine. So I had that attitude from the very beginning. I knew that whatever I wrote was basically a placeholder, that they were going to take it and they were going to turn it into whatever they wanted. And that's fine because that's the job. So when I see a script that is bears very little uh, resemblance to the original one I wrote but still has my name on it, you know – if the script is good, then great. <laughs> but if the changes are what I consider to be weak, obviously, then I'm like, oh, my name's on this thing. But I haven't had that issue with Marvel. Like, even in the the scripts I wrote where they did make big changes, I was still kind of like, yeah, that's fine. I'm happy with the outcome. I'm proud to have my name on that as as the writer. Because um, in the end of the day, that's what counts, right? Like, it's my name up there on the screen. So people are going to assume a lot of things. They're going to assume that I'm responsible for a lot of the story elements where that's not really the case. You know, like, I, I'm a hired gun. I, I do what I'm told, basically. I go in and I and I, I determine the specifics of a fight scene and I determine the specifics of a dialogue scene, but I don't actually dictate the plot. That's that's beyond me. That's for the uppity ups to do. <laughs> yeah, that's for the main showrunners, and you're not not involved in that. Yeah, I mean we're there for the writers' rooms, which is great. Uh, what what happens is they'll do like four or five episode arcs. So five writers will go into a room with the story editor and the supervising producer and we'll sit there for two days and we'll what they call beat out each episode. So as a group, 
we'll all figure out the plot points of each episode, but that's very much guided and directed by the supervising producer. So he'll say, okay, guys, so in this episode, this is the general thing that has to happen. Here's the beginning, here's the middle, here's the end, but let's figure out how we get there. So then as a group, we do that, and then individually they say, okay, so now we know what all these episodes are basically about and basically what happens in each one. Now we're going to give each episode to each individual writer and you guys take it from there and add more detail and then add more detail and then add more detail. And that's how that works. Yeah. Especially with uh, Black Panther's Quest, which was more like story focused. Uh, yes. Instead of like individual. Episodic. Yeah. Individual episodes. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a big uh, series or, or, or season arc to that one. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I said it kind of felt weird because it felt more like a Black Panther show than an Avengers show. But yeah, well, that's kind of I think that was the what they wanted to do with the fifth season, I think, is they yeah. specifically they specifically said, well, let's really put the focus on Black Panther. Um, and I obviously that that was tying in with the, the movie at the time as well. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they said, well, let's let's try this. Let's sort of make. And I think originally they wanted to have a spinoff, like a spinoff show just called Black Panther's Quest, but scheduling issues or whatever the case was, they they couldn't do that. So they just basically said, well, let's turn the fifth season of Avengers into that, essentially. So and and I mean, it is. I mean, it, it's basically just a you know a separate show. I mean, even though they say it's a season five, it's a separate show. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the redesigns and the you know the cast being changed and all. You know, character personalities changing and all that stuff. It's just, yeah, this is a, this is a new show. This ain't, this ain't, you know, the old Avengers. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with the old ones because I came on the Avengers, I think season four. So I don't really know a lot about it before that. So I couldn't tell you whether there are similarities or not. No, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I just, I just found it interesting that, you know, you were even allowed to write, especially considering, you know, how, you know, Marvel is with, with their properties and how protective they are there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've, like I said, I've had a great experience with Marvel in the whole six years I've been here. They've been, uh, they've been really good to me. So I'm, <laughs> hopefully I can continue that relationship. And, uh, is there any other franchises you want to be a part of, or is just is it just like okay, Marvel's good enough for me? Oh well, like everybody, I want to be on every show ever done. Um, <clears throat> I'm super proud of the work we're doing on F is for Family. That's Bill Burr's show for Netflix. Um, I <clears throat> I got that because I was on Lego Star Wars, and the same showrunner, Michael Price. Uh, was involved with Fs for Family. So when they got the green light to do season one, when I first got down here, uh, Mike said to me, hey, I need you. I need you for this to be our utility guy to play all these little characters. And that's worked out great because we've done four seasons now and, you know, it's doing really, really well. So I, I suspect we'll get a fifth again. Um, I'm super proud of that show because it's, uh, it's an adult comedy, which is great. It's only the second animated show that Netflix ever did, uh, after Bojack. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really proud of that one. So, uh, yeah, there's, but there's always new stuff coming up. Like I just did a show today, which of course I got to talk about, but it's fairly big and it's pretty cool. And I'm, you know, very, very pleased to have been given the chance to, to contribute to that one as well. Um, there's lots going on though. It's not just that. I mean, there's video games and there's the commercial world and there's the promo world and there's, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not just, you know, shows, it's, you know, promos and, and trailers and... God, yeah, God, exactly. It's, 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 like, there's so much stuff <laughs> that, that goes into voiceover, it just kind of boggles yeah. my mind how people can just think it's just, like, acting for shows. It's not. Like, there are different parts to voiceover. Yeah, it's one of those... 
Yeah, it's it's one of those jobs that people don't really understand because they don't really see behind the curtain very often. So, you know, most people assume that our career is more like an on-camera actor, but it's not at all. Like our career, we we do all kinds of different projects within a week. You know, I could work on six or seven totally different things within a week, and one of them, you know, one of them might be a promo, three of them might be cartoons, one of them might be a radio spot, another one might be an internet uh, uh, ad, another one might be a video game, another one might be a book on tape or an anime dub i mean there's just so many things that are they're constantly throwing at us and does it get jarring or does it you know is it just like at some point it just becomes normal oh yeah i i love it i mean i i'm not one of the i'm not one of the people that could do like a nine to five kind of job where you're doing the same thing every day that that make me crazy so this job is ideally suited to me because it's always different and you never know what your week's gonna look like so i love that because it keeps me fresh there's no security in it but <laughs> i've managed to do okay Ugh, that, 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 wow Ugh, that must uh you know security in it wow <laughs> It's, uh, oh yeah, no, no. As as a professional actor, there's zero security. So again, those of us in voice uh, have, you know, I like to say we've kind of hit the jackpot in a way because we get to continually work. Very few of us are rich, but uh, um, most of us are are content. That is, that's the reality of being a working actor. Is um, you know, you're, you're probably not going to, you know, be driving the fancy cars and living in the big houses. Some, some, some of us do, but most of the time you're just happy if you're continuing to work. And honestly, that's my attitude. Um, obviously, yes, being paid is great, but in the end of the day, I just got to keep going. I got to keep working. I got to keep working on new things. I got to keep being able to contribute to shows. I got to keep pushing my own creative envelopes and boundaries and see if I can add something new to a show choices and stuff. That's, that's where I get my, yeah, I mean it's it's you know yeah yeah you can make up the most of it you know you you know the work is the work and you know you might not get you know a toilet made of gold but you know <laughs> <laughs> yes it is what it is and uh, that's what I love about voiceover it's like you guys can play literally any role imaginable and you guys are you you guys are the ones they call to to bring to life some uh, stuff that's un un unearthly and unworldly and and just stuff that we can't even begin to comprehend as human beings, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's part of the fun, right? I mean, we can play, you know, in the morning I'm playing a 45-year-old drill sergeant, and in the afternoon I'm playing an 8-year-old boy, and at the end of the day I'm playing a three-headed monster that's destroying Tokyo. Like, it's it's <laughs> it's all over the place. Yeah, I know, it's, it's crazy. I love it. It's like, I, 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 I can be a talking raccoon for a living. Yeah, for example, yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, what are what are and and one of the things you're you're great at for me, uh, well, at least I think so, is accents because you you nail every accent you're given, and it's just amazing. Oh, thank you. Because because a lot of actors I talk to really struggle with accents and and di- and certain dialects, but you 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 master that that shit. Well, thanks. It uh, that's something I've been, like I said I've been doing since a little kid, basically. Um, and I, I guess I always had an ear for it. I grew up with a lot of British TV as well. So like the English accents, they came naturally to me because I had heard so many of them. Um, you know, as I, as I said before, I think the the first accent I ever did was a Scot, a Scottish accent. Um, and then I just, yeah, I just developed an ear for it. And you're right, though. There's it's it's a very niche thing. It's a it's a very it's a very special kind of thing that not a lot of people can do. Some some can, but. 
I've noticed that especially a lot of my American colleagues, they they have trouble with a lot of accents. Uh, and I, I have a theory on that. I could be wrong. It's just a personal theory. But my theory is the reason why most Americans have trouble with, like, UK accents, whether that's, you know, any, any of the British accents or the Scottish accents or even, like, Irish accents, that kind of stuff, is because in Canada we were raised with the BBC. So as I, as I said, I heard a lot of those accents growing up, and I think it just kind of – sunk into my ear by osmosis but americans don't necessarily have that same exposure most of their stuff is with american television where of course you get american accents but you know like there's a lot of guys who can go into sort of new york thing or do sort of that texas thing they can do that but you know if they have to do proper business or something then it becomes rather difficult for them whereas for me i can just kind of hear it right away but that's just a personal pet theory of mine i mean yeah, I mean, because you know, if you if you watch be you know British shows and and everyone like speaks you know in a, with a British accent, that's all you're gonna be. That's gonna be engraved in your mind. You're gonna remember right, that. Right. Yeah. Especially and, when you're young. Yeah, yeah. Especially with me, like I, I, you know, I have an American accent, which is the worst accent you can pick up because I watched a lot of American shows growing up, and yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with the, an American accent. It's just it is what it is, you know. Um, uh. There's accents in Canada that when I hear, especially when I go home, I kind of cringe a little bit because, you know, they're very, like the like the rural sort of Canadian accent like that, you know, that sort of like really, really lazy thing, eh, like that thing. I just, I can't hear it. <laughs> it's too weird. <laughs> I think, uh, what was it, Sobolov, he said like when he moved to the States, he, he was told to lose his Canadian accent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's funny because when you talk to him, there's no trace of his Canadian accent left. No, but, he, sound, I mean, he sounds American. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, most of us do because, um, you know, I was 15 years in Vancouver working in voiceover, and 99.9% of that was for an American audience, which means that they beat the Canadian accent out of you right away. So it's not like it's not like I have a particularly Canadian sounding accent, um, just because it's you know it's it's something you just adopt as a professional necessity, you know. Um, but I can hear it very much from my friends when I go home. You know, I can hear those outs and abouts and house and stuff like that. But I mean, even David Kay, now that I think about it, he never actually ever sounded Canadian. No, like he, no. He always had that like yeah. deep, yeah. No. soothing voice of his. Right. Right, exactly. But again, Dave, Dave got started in radio and most of his radio work was for American audiences. So very early on, David Kay became that American sound, you know. Now, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I mentioned this because, you know, like I said, I mean, a lot of actors, you know, a lot of American actors struggle with doing accents, but they kind of have to because, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to spend money hiring like, you know, Russian actors or German actors to come in. It's like, oh, can you do a German accent? Can you do a, a Russian accent? Okay, cool. Doesn't right. matter how bad it sounds. Just, just do it. <laughs> yeah. That it grates on me when I hear a bad accent. It really bothers me because I'm like, oh, how do you not hear that? <laughs> like people doing a bad British accent of any stripe, of any variety, just, oh, I, I cringe. It makes my flesh crawl. I'm like, just don't. If you can't do it, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I talked about this, especially with the Australian accent, because when, if you go to any American and you tell them to do an Australian accent, they just do a Paul Hogan impression. And I'm like, no. Right, no. right, 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 exactly. You call that a knife? Now there's a knife. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
And 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 Australian is like one of the hardest accents to pull off because it's just a nightmare. Well, it depends, right? I mean, like, like the Paul Hogan accent is, is what they call the broad accent down there, which is, which is what we would call like a, uh, like a, a hillbilly accent. It's a rural kind of thing. Uh, there's, there's a number of big, there's a number of varieties in the Aussie accent, just like there's a number of varieties in any region's accents. Um, but for me, there was, uh, the sort of holy grail of accents for a long time was the South African, which the, the Johannesburg accent, because that one, was a total mystery to me. I, I, I would listen to it and I would like, I, I don't know, even know what that is. I can't possibly. And then one day it just came to me. And this is not that long ago. This is maybe three or four years ago. It just came to me as I was hanging the laundry and I started to talk like this for some reason, right? I'm hanging the shirts and there it was. And I suddenly went, Oh my God, I'm talking with the, how did that happen? So I went uh, to a guardian session a couple of days later. And of course I was talking like this because it was fresh in my mind, right? And uh, Harrison, the producer heard and he went, you can do that accent? And I went, I, I guess. I couldn't a week ago, but it just came to me. And then the next day he was like, um, okay, your claw. And that was that. And I was cast as claw just based on that. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's like, you know, when I, when it, whenever we bring up ac- accents, whenever I talk to people about accents, I'm like, that's the, that's the one. Like very yeah. few people can do that. And if you can, hire them for everything because you will yeah. not find people <laughs> who can do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a funny one. And again, like, as I said, like anything, there's, there's many variations to it, but, but that's, it was funny because I had a, uh, my, one of the, one of the engineers that works on my home studio, he's South African. And when he first came in, when I first met him, he was doing some work and he was talking away, right? He was like, so you do sound work? Do you do like, like what, radio or something like this? I was like, actually, I do a lot of cartoon voices and I do a lot of accents. He says, oh, you do accents, right? Like, uh, what kind of accents do you do? And I said, well, I kind of do yours. <laughs> <laughs> he started to laugh. He's like, oh, my God, man, you sound just like my brother. <laughs> I mean, it's Funny. great. I mean, I understand why they went with that because, you know, they wanted to model him after Andy Circus, And, you know, Andy right. Circus spoke with a South African with the, accent. Yeah, and... with the Afrikaans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And that was that must have been a nightmare to cast because the original guy they got to do it was you know not very good. <laughs> In the cartoon, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he struggled with it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know who that was. Who played Claw before I did? Do you know? I, I don't remember. I know that at one point Mark Hamill did, but I think but that, that was might have been... uh, the Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That wasn't. Oh, okay. All right. Um, it was funny because I was doing an Avenger, uh, Avengers episode with Mark and. As I was doing Claw, I, w- I was sitting right beside him, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, didn't he play that? And again, it was that moment of, is this weird that I'm playing a character? But then I thought, yeah, he's Luke Skywalker. He- he'll be fine. He- he's fine. <laughs> he'll be fine. <laughs> he's on that indie indie, indie property Batman. He'll- he's that, fine. He's fine. That's right. <laughs> that, that little that little known character, the Joker. Yeah, yeah. no one really knows who that is. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, but but he spoke with a British accent because that was like you know way before the movies, and they were just like, okay, whatever. He speaks with a British accent. Oh, I see. Yeah. Probably, as you say, because they couldn't find anybody to yeah. do the South African. Because I yeah. believe, I believe that character Ulysses Claw was always South African in the comics, wasn't he? I, I would imagine. I don't remember. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know he was, and then he turned into a stupid robot and. That was his default appearance for a while. Oh, and it's just, uh, oh what a history. <laughs> what a history indeed. 
and, and the movie came and they're like, yeah, we're not doing the stupid robot. You can just give him the claw hand. I really, liked, uh, <laughs> I really liked Andy Serkis' interpretation of him, especially in Black Panther. I thought he was, he was a lot of fun. I was sad that he got killed off so soon. I'm like, oh, man, I want to see a claw movie. <laughs> and that, mo- that moment came out of fucking nowhere as well because, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's just a normal, you know, scene and, there, you know, dark, there's dark humor and then, you know, pulls out a gun and blam. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, is it weird like coming in to, to do like uh sound alike or, I mean, oh, I mean, I wouldn't say ahead. like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying mimic, but like sound alike. Not, not. I get a lot of that. I get a lot of that, especially with auditions. Um, my agent always sends me stuff where it's a voice match, sound alike, that kind of stuff. It's bizarre because a voice match is different than a sound alike because a voice match is they want you to sound exactly like the person and that's very particular. Typically that's for like movie trailers or, or, you know, ADR stuff they need to do in, in a feature film or something. But, but sound alikes are a little different because sound alikes are like, well, we want you to get the essence of the character so that when people hear it, they feel that's the character. So even if your voice is not exactly the same, um, it, it has to embody the character. One of the first soundalikes I did was for Johnny Test because when uh, Louis Cirillo stopped playing Dookie because he, he had left the country to he'd, – he'd moved to Brazil, they needed to replace someone. Or they need to replace him with someone, and I had auditioned for it, and they cast me as as Dookie, not because I sound exactly like Louis, because of course I don't, but they felt that I I captured the essence of the character best, and so that's what happens. But of course, when you do any character, even if it starts as a sounder, like eventually it evolves into your own thing. That's the nature of the beast. The classic example of this <clears throat> is when you watch the first season of The Simpsons versus any other season, right? Those voices in the first season were very different because they were still finding their feet. They were still trying to figure out like, okay, what, who are these people? How do they sound? So gradually they start to evolve into their own thing. That's just the way it works. So my dookie now that I play or, or at the end of the, the show was different even than the dookie I started doing, which was itself a sound alike of Louie. So it's just a, it's just a progression that happens. But yeah, sound alikes are weird. They're, um, you know, you, as I said, you want to try and capture the, the sort of fundamental characteristics of the character. And that doesn't necessarily always mean voice, believe it or not, right? Like that could be, that could be a, a pattern that they have when they speak or a particular, I don't know, vocal tick or who knows, right? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, uh, especially when, you know, when I talked to Sobolov, he was talking about, you know, Drax, and they wanted him to sound like, a spe- uh, they had like a specific way they wanted him to sound, and they're like, you can't, uh, you can't, uh, uh, you, you can't, uh, uh, differentiate too much from that, because that's what we want the character to sound like, and he's like, yeah, okay, sure. Right, right. And if you listen to his Drax versus Batista's Drax, they sound pretty similar. Like they're yeah. definitely in the same in the same range. Um, <clears throat> Will, when he plays Star Lord, none of us were asked to voice match the the cast of the movie, right? Because again, when we did the audition, the cast of the movie wasn't even announced, so we had no idea. But Marvel knew, and so like if you listen to all of us, I feel that we are playing versions of those actors without even knowing it because i'm not doing a bradley cooper impersonation at all when i'm doing rocket i'm not impersonating him doing rocket i'm just doing my version of rocket but they hear that there's something similar in there and there is because when i put my rocket versus his rocket 
yes, they're different, but you can also hear the connection. You're like, ah, yeah, I can, I can, I can see how that is the same character. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing with Will, with his Star Lord versus, um, Chris Pratt's Star Lord. They don't sound the same, but there's something about the delivery. There's something about the attitude and the lines that is the same. And so I think it's super cool, actually, how they've, they cast that show. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, for, for you know, I mean, I get, I mean, yeah, they wanted it to be like the movie, but, you know, you guys went, went to your, your own direction, and I kind of like that, because if it was just like the movie, then I'm like, yeah, what's the point? Right, exactly. Yeah, you're right. And, and it was a great cast as well. Like, you had, like, you know, Sobolov, Vanessa Marshall, Will Friedle, you Yeah, know, Kevin, Kevin, Michael, Kevin Michael Rich- yeah. Richardson, yeah. yeah which, uh, you know, I love the story of you fanboying over meeting him. <laughs> You've heard that, have you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Word gets around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy, Kev. He's, he's, he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet. He's great. Yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful actor. And, and you guys, um, and, you know, Sobolov mentioned this as well, where, you know, the reason the show works so well is because you guys got to record together and it was a small cast. So you didn't have to worry about, you know, too many people coming in and, and ruining everything. It's just like, yeah, you got five people and you guys work well off each other. So yeah, for the, the chemistry was, was apparent immediately with, uh, with the core group. Um, <clears throat> Which was awesome. And the fact that we did get a chance to record together. Not every show does that. Uh, a lot of shows prefer to record individually, which, you know, I get, but honestly, in my experience, you get a better product every single time if you have a group record, because then you have actors working off each other and th- there's a magic to that you just never get when you're alone in a booth, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I understand that, but again, it's, it's money and all that stuff and. Yeah, scheduling issues yeah, mostly. Yeah. yeah. Cause, uh, you know, video games, you guys just do, just record on your own and you're given like so little context, you don't even know what you're recording for. Yeah, and in the vast majority of cases, that's true. Although recently, <clears throat> over the past few months, I had the pleasure of doing a group record with a, with a game. And it was funny because the directors, they had never done it before, and they were astounded at how well it worked. And I kept saying, yeah, God, this is this is what you should be doing because it's way better, <laughs> you know? Yeah, because most of the time you're just recording on your own, and, and they'll sometimes play the other actor in. Right. Sometimes they won't. And right. it's up to you to come up with, with what, you know, with, uh, with, with the emotion for that scene. And that's yeah. just hard. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the job. And, you know, there's no problem I have with doing that. It's just, it's so much, I don't want to say easier, but it's so much, I, I feel there's a, there's a dynamic that only exists when you're working off another live human being in the room. Uh, but, excuse me, but you just, you just, miss out on when you're recording alone well yeah because you know when you're recording alone you're just you know you you just have to go with your gut and say and hope that the performance you're giving matches the final product and if not then oh well yeah and again you know that's what that's what the the director is for (laughs) to make sure we're all in the same show you know yeah but it's much more fun to to, you know record together because you get 100 percent. yeah because you get a better performance yeah, 100%. And I, and, I, and I just wish that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, video games do get like a group record. I mean, not everyone, but like at least like four, five or six people. I mean, come on. Yeah, especially if you get like, uh, really cutscene heavy games. I mean, it's different if you're doing like, I don't know, League of Legends 
Assassins is something where it's just running around beating things up by yourself. But if you're doing like story games where there's a big narrative and you've got these elaborate cinematic cutscenes, uh, yeah, for sure get the actors together because that's what they're doing. They're acting. <laughs> it's better to act with another person, you know? I mean, they do that with mocap, but that's not for every game. <clears throat> Right, and and interestingly enough, they very rarely use the same voice actor as the mocap actor, which to me doesn't make any sense, because we're the character. We we set the character first. In most cases, we record the character, and then they send our file to a mocap actor who is just sort of pantomiming the motions based on what they hear us saying. But we can do that. We can act in person, too. <laughs> and I recently had a chance to do exactly that, and it was fantastic and the producers couldn't have been happier they were like oh my god this is we, we need to do more of this and i'm like yeah you really do because we understand these characters because we inhabit them for so long you know uh, uh, in the booth it's a very small step to, to put it on its feet in a in a mocap studio so um hopefully we'll see more of that happen i mean you're getting that i mean naughty dog you know does does all their stuff mocap and i think it, it's for the best because they get the best performance out of their actors by doing that. All their scenes are mocapped and right. it works. Right, right. So I don't know why it, why more games don't do this, but again, budgetary reasons. Yeah, probably, probably. It's like, yeah, we could pay you to to come in and and record, but yeah, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're doing any mocap at all, they got to pay somebody. So it it just to me, it just makes sense. It's not like it's not like they have to pay us a whole bunch more than they'd have to pay a mocap actor, as far as I know, you know. So it, it but what do I? I don't know. I don't produce these things. I have no idea what the budgets are. So I'm talking out of my ass here. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 um, do you watch any of the stuff you know you're in, or is that or is that too weird for you? Uh. I rarely watch the stuff I'm in, precisely because it is most of the time too weird for me. Um, what were we saying? Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't. I, I tend to be intensely critical of my own performances, so I don't really like watching my stuff. There are exceptions, right? Like I love watching Episode Family. I love. I loved watching um, uh, Lego Star Wars. All the stuff we did with Lego Star Wars um, and Rocket. You know, I've I've seen the majority of the Guardians uh, episodes, but uh, but most of the time, no. When I hear myself, I'm like, eh, yeah, could have done that better, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially with me, because when I have to re-listen re 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 to these recordings and I have to cut stuff out, it's like, ah, I hate my voice. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've all had that at some point. <laughs> <clears throat> but you kind of have to. If, like, a director comes in and says, you know, can you listen to this? You have to, because they're yep. going to tell you what yep. you did wrong, and you, you have to, to listen to them. Yep. <clears throat> so, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool. Yeah, riveting stuff. So, uh, anything else on on your mind before we wrap this up? Uh, well, I wish I could talk about the projects, but I think that's it. Uh, dreaded NDAs. I mean, the thing <laughs> where I, I, um, yeah, the dreaded NDAs. Uh, you know, I'm on the the Twitters. You know, I don't really participate a lot. Uh, at T Deval, I think, or no, no, at Trevor Deval. That's my Twitter thing. I'm Instagram too. At uh, but uh, social media is a mystery to me. I don't really see the appeal. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, I'm on it. And occasionally I put up some stupid little picture or something. So watch for that, I guess. Well, you kind of have to because, you know, casting directors watch how many followers you have to to uh, 
to to get you on shows and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I've been victim, fallen victim to that procedure as well. Yeah. Yeah. And any advice you yeah you have for anyone who wants to get into the business? Uh, yeah. Um, the most important word in voice actor is actor. You have to. <laughs> Read copy and and communicate an idea in a dramatic fashion. To be the fish you have seen. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks for for taking the time off to do this. My pleasure. Sorry it took <laughs> so long.